Hi, everyone. This is Jose from Phillips Academy's fourth podcast episode. And today we're going to be talking about campus safety, particularly on Andover's campus. We are more than happy to have Dr. Amy Patel, Medical Director of Phillips Academy, on the podcast with us to discuss this very pertinent matter. Now the host can introduce themselves. And after that, if Dr. Patel wants, she can also give a short introduction about herself. Uh, I'll go first. My name is Daniel. I'm a lower at PA and right now I'm on campus. Hi, I'm Becca. Um, I'm a freshman and I'm also on campus right now. And hi, I'm Jaden. I'm a freshman and I'm also on campus right now. Hi, I'm Dr. Patel. I am your medical director and um, I've also been um, involved in the health and uh, safety protocols, especially around our public health protocols for COVID-19 and partnering with many, many incredible people across campus, um, students and adults around keeping our campus safe and healthy and open and, um, and broadening our in-person experiences. So happy to be here. Thank you. This is the first for me. No, thank you so much. Again, we're really uh, happy to have you on with us today. So firstly, we wanna ask some broad questions about um, the general experience in dealing with COVID. So what are some of the personal struggles, personal struggles you have faced as medical director of Andover in this pandemic? So personal, um, you know, I think like many people, this has been, you know, being in a pandemic is an unprecedented event. Um, it comes with a whole host of things that impact, you know, me personally, as well as my family. I have two children who are school age, so I know the struggles of flipping to remote learning right away and then sort of balancing the in-person and, and you know, sort of the emotion around having an in-person experience um, and will it be safe and will my family be safe, um, you know, and just, and and then also, I mean, there's a lot to think about. I mean, certainly um, tying in that um, the professional and the personal have blended in a lot of ways. I think that's the same for many people who now find themselves always on or, or always accessible because of um, the remote nature of the way that the world has worked. And then I just have sort of a deeply... Um, care about all of the humans that I interact with and that I feel responsible for. And so, you know, just that's, um, that's just, that's a lot to be thinking about, um, just how to make sure that I keep everybody um, healthy. Yeah, uh, I'm a freshman and like, I never really got to experience Andover in the old normal sense. But um, yeah, it's, it's been sort of amazing to experience it in this way. And it's, and it hasn't felt very isolated. I, I definitely feel like I'm meeting people and that I really appreciate that. Yeah. So I guess not to say that you haven't done an amazing job handling this, but I guess in retrospect, do you think there's anything that you would have changed or done differently? Any lessons you learned, I suppose? So I try not to have regret. Um, I try to take everything as a learning opportunity for sure. So um, I'm not sure that there is anything that could have been done necessarily differently. Um, but I do think that um, are there lessons learned. Um, and again, I also try to take a spin on the positive as well because I think that's just important um, to not necessarily live in, in you know in the negative or or what maybe didn't go as well. So first of all, I think it's important to note like we've been able to have some level of in-person school um, since the fall. Which which is huge. So, you know, focusing on that. Um, 
And, you know, we did slowly repopulate over the fall um, because we were testing our protocols and our compliance with it and the efficacy of the, of the protocols. Um, and so I think what we did do is then learn from that. And in the spring, we had one registration day for our boarders and one registration day for our day students. So I think we've already done, um, you know, some of the look back and then try to put those into protocols um, for the spring term. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Like positive, like positivity is just crucial on both a personal and practical level. Um, and now we just want to transition to questions pertaining to the residential life of students. So what is the key or most important part of keeping students safe while living in dorms that house as many as 40 students? Yeah, I, I've um, continued to share my mantra. The name of the game is to avoid being anybody's close contact. Um, so being a close contact by CDC definition is being within closer than six feet for 15 or more minutes over the course of 24 hours. So it could mean like one minute, 15 times, or it could mean 15 or more minutes. Um, so trying to, you know, trying to avoid that during the quarantine time, during the time that we're really trying to assess um, if there are any positives from preterm exposure um, after the quarantine phase, which is going to end soon, I'm waiting on a little more data to be able to determine um, exactly the extent of that, we will be able to have these dorm pods that we tested out in the fall um, as smaller dorm pods. And then in the winter, as we were able to have um, you know, our seniors or many of our seniors back, we actually broaden that and learn from the fall and the winter that it's actually easier to have a dorm be a pod for many reasons, because you're kind of in it together, you're committed to each other's health and safety. Um, you know, it's not like you have to think about one particular hallway where there could be a positive. So, um, but continuing to try to know, I think the, the biggest piece around the dorm pods, especially as you mentioned, you know, for 40 or so for some of these bigger dorms is that like, it's, it's considered a family. So like think about each of your dorm mates as a member of your family and wanting to make sure that you're doing all the things you can do to minimize your own risks. So you're not bringing that risk home to your dorm and to your family. Yes, completely. And also with minimizing risk. So just this past week, we had our first ever confirmed cases within the residential community. And so why do you think that this has not happened until now? And how are you planning to deal with it in the future? So we did have some confirmed cases in our in our community. So um, I urge everybody to look at our dashboard. Um, we do separate that dashboard out um, by day, and then we can, we combine that and sort of add it as by week. And we separate out adults and um, students. So we have had um, very small number of positives in our students that have been on campus. Um, this particular term, we've had more positives, and so um, you know I think. That's a reflection of, again, the arrival, the pre-arrival exposure, and then potentially some on-campus transmission. That's hard to tease out, and I don't want to make um, a causal relationship, but we certainly know that there have been more in this arrival quarantine. I think we've um, we've actually been on um, the smaller side in terms of the number of campus cases that we've had, as compared to some of our uh, to many of our peer schools and um, and higher ed universities and colleges. So. Um, after, so, you know, we had to pivot quickly this week. You might know that we, um, we did an extra test this week. And so we have that ability to kind of pivot quickly if we need to, to see, are we trending up or are we kind of holding steady? Um, data has shown us for over a year that um, the best way to uh, prevent an outbreak is, well, there are many ways um, in terms of our risk mitigation um, techniques, but then in terms of testing and sort of identifying an outbreak is to test more frequently. So testing twice a term is gonna be something we'll continue throughout this 
this term, but if we needed to add a third or even a fourth um, during you know, a period where we're seeing increasing cases, we're certainly gonna do that. Yeah, I guess it, it's just so hard to tell when there's so many like variables at play, like you, re you, never, you never really know. And that, and maybe like testing is an only like concrete data point that you can get. And that's like, I assume why it's so effective. Um, I guess, and of course, like the preventative measures are also super important. Um, just out of curiosity, I'm wondering, like, how effective of a job do you think like students have been doing and um, in like in implying these like measures? Um, and how much like how much do you think it would help and how much do these measures help if they are followed? Um, strictly? Yeah, so this is a really great question. The, um, so there's a model um, that I like to make sure people know about the Swiss cheese model. So this is actually a really well-known um, like visual in the risk management world. Actually, I think the airline industry might've been one of the earlier ones that, that created this model and then medicine took this on. So if we apply it to our current circumstances, let's assume that each piece of cheese is um, one of these risk mitigating techniques. Um, and so these include things like um, hand washing, um, sanitizing, masking, distancing, reducing the number of people, um, airflow, your own immunity, vaccines, right? So each is a piece of cheese and each has a different level of effectiveness, but it's Swiss cheese because there, it, none of them are hundred percent, or maybe there's like a, you know, there's different sizes of holes on those pieces of cheese. But the goal is that if you stack them all up, um, even if they're imperfect, right? Even if they don't have 100% efficacy on their own, um, that you're not gonna get a straight line through. And so having more of these pieces of Swiss cheese and having higher efficacy, um, meaning fewer holes in these pieces are gonna be the key. And then we also have to know like we're all human, right? So then there's the human factor that makes any of this that you know might be in a perfect setting, um, sort of less than 100%. And we have to assume that. I actually think that our kids have been doing, like you all have been doing amazing um, in so many ways. Like masking has been like, a. I think that's been something that, um, like I think people were surprised at how great students would do with the masking. Um, and I think that there are some things that just drive human behavior to find more challenge. I think we all struggle with um, distancing. And I, and I think that's adults as well as, as students, um, that, that that gets to be some of the harder stuff. So, um, so I think our students are doing great. I think our students are doing an awesome job trying to keep up um, with protocols and understanding the protocols. I think it's really hard to like, you know, be doing this for so long despite the exhaustion. But I think that, um, I don't know, I'm really proud of you all. I'm proud of all of us as a community in terms of how well we've been doing here. So um, I think I answered your question that, you know, there are enough of these techniques that it's okay that it's on 100%. I think where we are and if we can hang strong with how well we've been doing, you know, it's okay if it's slightly imperfect. Thank you. It's really assuring to know that we've been doing our job well in managing the spread of COVID-19. Um, regarding like academic, the academic setting, what are the precautions that will be taken inside of and of our classrooms to minimize the chance of, to, to, to minimize the chance of the spread of COVID? I assume like distancing and uh, glass barriers. 
Yeah, so just like our, our residential team, including our house counselors and our deans and our dean of students office have been doing a, a phenomenal job really thinking about how to implement these protocols in the dorms. Our dean of studies team um, has been doing a phenomenal, and our teachers have been doing such a great job thinking about how to make classrooms safe using parameters. Um, and then of course our facilities team have been helping all across campus um, in terms of some of these, like including you know spacing desks and, and measuring. Um, so a couple things to note, um, the classroom space as a space where we have moved to four feet of distance in classrooms, um, six feet everywhere else across campus, but four feet in classrooms. Actually, this data has been going on um, for over a year in um, the US as well as in other countries. And the CDC has said in sort of a lower moderate risk time, high school students can have um, you know, three feet of distance in the classroom. We went with four um, when, and we'll try to go with more if, you know, in some of those bigger classrooms with fewer desks. But the other things include um, airflow. So you might notice that the windows will be open, that there might be fans, um, that there could be filters. And then of course the masking will continue minimizing movement through the class. So maybe some classes have a lot more like movement up to the board and maybe that might change a little bit. Um, so, and I think our teachers have been so flexible and so creative at thinking about how to create um, an incredible, um, in-person experience and then also to remember that some students are still going to have to access classes remotely so there'll be this high flex experience as well so um, you know there might be a, a, a hybrid of in-person and remote and is the since we're going back into in-person classes is the medical team at Andover anticipating a spike in COVID cases once in-person learning starts no, I, so the point of this um, this 10 day quarantine is really to try to kind of have a, a washout period of sorts um, so that any pre-arrival exposure, um, you know, can be um, identified and, and, um, and eliminated. So, and our day students are doing a parallel process, you know, at home as well, right? So um, managing risk and really trying to keep um, the risk as low as possible. So I'm not anticipating a spike, um, and you know we're prepared for it of course but i think that with these current protocols there really shouldn't be we haven't seen across other data points across the country and across the world that having um classes has increased cases and i can speak you know from my own experience my kids have been in school since the beginning since september 8th um this year and their school is using really similar protocols and um they haven't seen any um, outbreaks or spikes in cases. So um, it actually seems like it's more likely to get um, transmission outside of classroom spaces. And so we need to continue to stay strong with holding true to our protocols um, in the non-classroom spaces as well. Yeah, I, I, th I think that's a really good point. And I guess just moving to the outside the classroom spaces. Um, so I guess what sort of factors played into the decision of scheduling varsity um, athletics um, that are off campus, um, uh, the decision like about not letting day students participate in club sports. Um, yeah, I just, could you give us some insight behind those decisions? Yeah, so um, first of all, you know, we, we recognize like play and exercise, and in some cases that also means interscholastic play, are so critical to not only our physical health, but also our emotional health, right? So, um, and then we've also had other data points where we've seen that, that sports are happening successfully um, in some contexts. 
we also have to acknowledge that there have been um, cases of increased transmission in other contexts. So what we wanted to do is risk stratify as we've done with every other aspect of our plan. And if something is in more of a low or moderate risk zone, either on the basis of the level of contact that individuals will have or the level of airflow possible or even just the game, right? So some some sports just happen to have way more close contact um, than others. We want to make sure that we're able to honor that there are some instances, those low and moderate risk sports, where we think we can do that really safely, not only on our campus, but also with other campuses um, following similar protocols. And our athletic, our, you know, I know I'm giving shout outs all across campus and I mean them, there's so many people who've been working so hard around the, around the clock and behind the scenes. So um, athletics and our athletic director um, have been thinking about each and every piece of this um, so carefully, our athletic trainers as well, thinking about, um, you know, how to, you know, how to keep people safe, um, both on our campus, on the buses, um, and then um, off campus when we're participating. So, um, and then we've also seen that some schools have been able to do this successfully as well. So with um, a similar set of parameters um, that we've been able to see that there hasn't been transmission. And it might mean that we have to pivot a little bit if we're seeing that we have a spike or a competitor school is having a little bit of a spike, but that level of collaboration and transparency around campus cases is gonna help us to minimize our risk. Um, I know you mentioned the club sports and sort of how we made that determination. Um, and again, just recognizing where there might be areas of potential increased risk based on data, um, you know, on our own campus, but more actually based on data that we've seen across the country. Yeah, I guess I, I really appreciate that decision to, of course, let athletics start. I mean, athletics have always been a big part of my school experience. And I think it's it's important not to forget about like mental health in times like this. We talked about this in an episode previously on the podcast about mental health during COVID. So yeah, I just think that's, I, I really appreciate that basically. <laughs> All right. and um. What will happen if there are more and more students that just test positive? Like how would that influence any decisions made regarding COVID protocols moving on? So our plan um, so has risk stratification built into it. So you might notice that when I do a weekly update, we are either in a, a higher red zone or moderate orange zone or for, for one point in our winter term, we were able to get into our lower risk um, yellow zone. And so our protocols are adjusted accordingly. So when we're in our red zone, we're remote pretty much all the time. It's, it's a little bit more um, not lockdown. I hate to use that word, but like it's definitely more restrictive in terms of some of the movement and in some of the interactions. So all remote classes, we have just been in two weeks of the red zone because that actually aligns completely with our arrival quarantine. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll get into our moderate zone um, for, you know, for next week and for, you know, probably much of the term. And I actually am really hopeful that we're going to get into that yellow risk zone, the lower risk zone, where we can even extend our movement further. Um, but, you know, if we see that we're seeing a spike either in our campus testing or some of the test results that we're getting from off campus or our local context, we might need to pull back and say, that we need to go to a more restrictive zone for some period of time. And that zone doesn't just mean remote classes. Um, it also means increased cleaning protocols. It means a change in the way that we are um, interacting around you know, other sort of high touch areas. Dining is one that usually comes to mind. So the plan has meant to be nimble, um, though I'm very, very hopeful 
that we won't have to go back into the red zone that we can continue to either be in an orange or a yellow zone. And do you think that it's a good idea to host school events like casino night or other events that different grades have been planning for a long time where large amounts of students gather within a general vicinity? And like to follow up, what is like the thought process behind this decision? So I think casino night was in the winter where we had our, um, we actually had as close to a bubble as we can get in the winter with an entirely boarding environment for our, um, for a subset of our seniors that were able to join us. And so they had already been participating in protocols, um, not leaving campus, um, not having any other um, individuals come to campus. And that went well. Um, I think we're going to have to just look at the numbers as we have a more open campus um, in the in the spring term and just decide how we're going to continue to use our protocols to keep us all safe so we are so behind the scenes um, these events are being evaluated um, in much more significant ways than ever right around our um, applicability of our campus protocols and COVID protocols and so you know we might have to modify some things and so um, maybe the numbers are going to be shifted maybe it'll go all outdoors as opposed to having it indoors because we know outdoor spaces tend to be safer so I do think that a lot of intentionality is going into making sure that there are fun safe amazing weekend experiences again shout out to our um, student activities board and student activities team to make sure that we have opportunity. Um, but again, we might need to shift and, and, and pivot those opportunities a little bit um, to modify them if our risks are, are increased. So it's kind of hard to say like exactly how that'll go, but know that there's intention around at least making sure that there's that part of the, the new normal or that part of maybe the old normal will continue, that there will be student activities and, and ways to be able to engage with others um, through spring. Yeah, I guess like, yeah, it's it's so it can be so hard to decide like the balance in between like, I mean, of course, everyone wants to really wants to go back and, and, and of course, it's always it, like improve everyone's mood, maybe even, like, yeah, if we could go back, but yeah, it's just so hard to decide. I don't know. Um, uh, what do you expect to do if like day students start to test positive? I mean, we covered the residential community a little bit, but uh, what is the protocol when it comes to students who are traveling on and off campus? And do you think that they would pose more of a risk to the bubble or I don't know? So, you know, I never want any of our students to have a feeling of being, you know, marginalized. I don't want to, you know, like I can imagine that boarders might see a certain level of risk with day students and I imagine that day students might see a certain level of risk with borders and like I don't really think it's productive to engage in, in sort of that but I think that um, it's important to note that the same principles are being applied across all students whether they're borders or day students and so if somebody tests positive they are removed from the dorm or they're um, removed from campus activities for 10 days that's evidence-based guidelines that 10 days of isolation um, that's the technical term but isolation makes it sound like it's like you know, isolating and, and it is, um, but there are 10 days of um, removal from campus activities. And then, um, and then they'll be able to engage back again. And if anybody's a close contact, um, that's also 10 days um, with a little bit more testing to make sure that if um, they're positive that we're identifying that and, um, and isolating them as quickly as possible as well. So that doesn't actually change if it's border, uh, boarding students or day students. And, um, you know, the, the type of risks that a, a day student might have, um, you know, I think actually our day students are doing a really nice job as well managing those risks. And so um, we've been able to have some increased transparency in what some of our day students are doing in the spring um, through an exemption process, which I hope is actually going to be helpful 
for us to be able to know how to help our day students manage those risks as well. Um, but I, I don't, I don't anticipate that we're going to see um, anything significant based on the data that we've already had. But again, we'll apply the same principles across. And so how do you and the Sykes team anticipate um, the arrival of Dayson will affect COVID cases on campus and say are kind of like the main factors of bringing COVID to campus? And what can we try to do to prevent COVID risk with day students? Because I know that you said that you don't really want to marginalize any people, but because day students are coming from kind of outside of the bubble and bringing it like, do you guys anticipate that there may be more positive cases or kind of how will it affect the um, campus right now? Well, I think we'll have our, our data for um, our day students just registered on Wednesday. So we'll have that data back today and that'll be in my campus update and that'll be on the dashboard um, today uh, by the end of the day or, or, or tomorrow, um, but that'll be in the update for today. Um, so, and you know, we might have, um, there might be some more cases from day students or there might not be. Um, again, I think our day students, at least what I'm hearing from our students and from, you know, from their parents um, are really trying to minimize their risk. Um, and so minimizing things like I'm being asked really great questions about, are they allowed to go to um, an event with a few people who are vaccinated outdoors? And, you know, are they allowed to go, um, you know, they're getting a lot of really good questions where it's very clear people are thinking about what risk um, they might be introducing to themselves and their for the community. Um, so I actually, I don't, I don't expect that we're going to see this big spike in, in day student cases. Um, I think that we're a community that is really, really thoughtful um, for each other. And I, and I'm just seeing it now more than ever, which um, I think is really inspiring. I hope that you, I hope that students get to see this as well, um, that, you know, people are really thinking about this as we're all in it together. Yeah, we'll make sure that message gets out. And it's really comforting to hear that uh, everything will go well, hopefully. And uh, Dr. Patel, this is our last question for you. If you had to give one piece of advice to students at Andover boarding and day regarding COVID safety, what would it be? My one piece of advice is really around like the emotional safety that I want to make sure people have. So I'm going to start with that, but then I think you might be asking me about the physical stuff too. So no, I'll start with the physical part. Um, so one of the biggest pieces really is like mask wearing seems to be one of the biggest um, you know, maintaining some distance and space. And so just remembering that these protocols, um, you know, they work um, and it's not forever. And so like the, there is an end in sight. I don't know when that end is, but we're getting closer. Um, and so then that takes me to the emotional safety piece to remember like we, we can do this. We have been doing it. Um, we will continue to refine what our new normal looks like, but we have to take care of each other too. So to be able to know that if you're struggling, reach out to reach out for help, whether it's another student, whether it's adult, every student should have an adult that's like their person that they know they can call no matter what. Um, so if you don't have that, and I know some of our newer students may not have actually like sort of developed that yet, find them. That should be a goal. Um, and then check in with each other, um, find ways to engage off of technology. Um, ask the hard questions about how people might be feeling um, and be prepared for those answers and be prepared to support. Um, this, this is, this this is exhausting, um, you know, physically and emotionally exhausting. And so, and then remember all of your campus resources, remember your parents and your guardians and just individuals who care so much about making sure that this experience is a positive one. So that's that's really what I wanna say is like, let's just keep taking care of each other. Um, and I know that that's gonna continue to, um, you know, be what really helps us have a successful spring term. 
we asked all of our questions and we really, really appreciate you finding your time to come and talk with us. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much.